and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hey, our reading for scripture today comes from Romans 12, 9 through 13. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I need it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. I wish I memorized it. Like Sarah Stokes last week. Holy smokes. That was good. Yeah. Um, Hi. How are you? Good to be with you this morning. Um, I do have one thing uh, I want to say before we jump in, and that is um, a lot of you somewhere in your row have a card that says let's play on it. Um, and here's what that is. Uh, every August, we, we try not to be like recruiting for volunteers all year long um, because that feels like begging. Um, but we do every August recruit for volunteers. So we have a few openings that we um, would love to be filled. Um, one is we have uh, an opening for a sub in our audiovisual, so doing slides. Um, we also have four openings. Um, we just need one extra person each week to help us do teardown. So that would be staying after service to help us tear down the church. Um, I'm the last one that leaves, and I'm always home by like 12.05. So this is not, you're not staying until like 2 in the afternoon. Um, So four of those, and then we need um, five extra folks for uh, kids ministry. Um, I don't know if you've noticed uh, Aaron in the service. You haven't because she doesn't get to come anymore and we would love for her to come to church. So um, uh, we need five extra folks for kids ministry. The great news is our kids ministry is growing and they are having so much fun uh, back there. But because of growth, we're trying to, we have to switch up some of the things that we do and we just need an extra person uh, each week for that and then one extra person in the nursery. So those are some openings we have. Um, if you are interested in serving in those those ways or any other way, will you just fill out one of those cards and you can drop it in the offering box on your way out? Or if you don't have one of those cards, you can uh, fill out any piece of paper you can find near you and just put your name on it and maybe an email and a phone number and we'll find you. And then if you don't fill out a card, we'll just come find you and be like, will you please help? Um, so uh, that's what those are. So we'd love for you to fill those out, throw them in the offering box uh, on your way out. Uh, let's, let's take a minute and pray and then we'll jump into the sermon. Jesus, uh, thank you for this room. I, um, this is a room where you meet me regularly. And so I just ask that that would be true today. Would you meet us here in this place? Um, we pray not only for what's happening in this room, but what's happening in rooms uh, all over our county uh, at the same time. I just ask your blessing on the churches in our area. Um, we pray for Hawaii. And for Maui, we ask that um, your peace and your comfort and uh, your renewal and restoration would um, 
come to a place very devastated. I believe that that's where you are, that you are with us in devastation. And so we ask that the people of Maui would feel your presence. Uh, We love you. We thank you for this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, all right, so today, uh, if, if you are new with us, or maybe we haven't seen you uh, in a little while, we've spent our summer going through Romans 12, and we, we really are in the final uh, stretch of Romans 12 uh, this week. Um, and so each week, we've just taken little bits of verses, or one verse at a time, or a couple of verses at a time, and, and just looked at them uh, a little bit closer. And so today, we're going to look at the scripture that Chris read, and we're going to talk about uh, creating a culture of hospitality uh, this week. And this was good timing for me because I've been reading uh, a book that is so good uh, called Unreasonable Hospitality by a guy named Will Guidara. And um, uh, it's not like a spiritual book. It's, it's a book from a guy who's like worked in restaurants his whole life. And it, so if you ever worked in um, food service, this book is awesome. It, even if you didn't, but if you did, there's just like a special, I don't know, language. But, but Will, he worked in some of the most uh, famous restaurants in the entire world before he owned his own. He worked, uh, if this means anything to you, he worked uh, at Spago in California with Wolfgang Puck. And then he worked his way through uh, the ranks of Danny Meyer's uh, Union Square Hospitality Group. So um, if, you, if you are one of the, I don't know how many people are here, 99% of people who don't know who Danny Meyer is in the room, uh, Danny Meyer gave a Shake Shack, so we love him, right? Okay. Um, uh, he was Shake Shack. He uh, owns a restaurant called Gramercy Tavern where uh, Chris Kotler, who plays bass every other week when Andrew's not playing, his son worked at. Uh, he owns tons of fancy restaurants. He also owns a restaurant that if you've ever asked me for advice on where you should eat in New York, I sent you an embarrassingly long list. But there were two restaurants on there that I was like, if you don't eat there, uh, don't talk to me when you come back. Uh, one of those is called Daily Provision. I'm still not talking to Rodney and Sarah Ferguson. And they're some of my best friends because they did not eat there when they went. So it's called Daily Provision. That's a Danny Meyer uh, restaurant. And uh, so Will worked for him for years and years. But eventually, Will and his uh, business partner, who's a chef named Daniel Hume, uh, they uh, bought from Danny a restaurant called Eleven Madison Park. And so from like 2007 till they sold it in 2020, um, this power team uh, led, they owned and operated a restaurant called Eleven Madison Park that's still uh, in existence in New York. But Under their leadership, like under the leadership of these two guys, uh, this restaurant won three James Beard Awards. Um, uh, Every year that it operated, it got three Michelin stars. Some of you are like, five stars would be better. Michelin only gives three. So they got the top number of Michelin stars that you could get year after year after year. And then eventually, uh, in 2017, they were voted the number one restaurant in the world. Not in America, which would be great. The world. The whole world. Okay, this is who's writing this book. So Will's book is basically about how he learned uh, hospitality in a way that led him to uh, operate the number one restaurant in the entire world. He also has a TED Talk about it if you're not a reader. It's just really good. Uh, if you deal with people at all, it's a really good uh, listen or read. But, um, but he tells the story in his TED Talk and in his book um, about a busy afternoon when he was wor- working a lunch shift at 11 Madison Park. And he overheard uh, his table talking about something. It was a table for people, and they were all tourists. They were all visiting New York, and they really had come just to eat. And so they had eaten at all of the best restaurants, like La Bernardine and Danielle and all of these like amazing world-famous restaurants, and they're talking about it. 
and how incredible their experiences has been. Uh, and they are, this is their last restaurant on their list. And they're going to finish eating uh, their 14 course meal at 11, at 11 Madison Park. And then they're going to hop on a plane and go home. I, that to me is a story in and of itself. Like I get nervous eating breakfast before I get on a plane. And they're going to eat 14 courses. And then anyway, so he, he, they're talking about this. And then he overhears them say something like, the only regret I have is we didn't eat a New York City hot dog. And part of him is like, You've eaten at like the top restaurants in the entire world and you're worried about a hot dog. Uh, but then my husband is like, yes, I'm always worried about eating hot dogs. He, he loves them. It's his favorite food. Um, but so uh, Will's kind of like that. And then he's like, gets this idea and he's like, oh my gosh. And he says, the next thing he knows, he's just running and he's running out of the restaurant and he's running out the front door and he's running down the block and around the corner and he finds a hot dog stand and he buys a $2 hot dog. And he's like, this is going to be awesome. Like I'm going to slide it into one of their courses and this is going to be incredible. And so he runs all the way back to the restaurant and he says, he's walking in when it hits him. Oh no, I have to convince a chef to serve this hot dog to these people. Not any chef. I have to convince a Michelin star winning chef to serve a soggy hot dog that I bought on the street to these people who are paying thousands of dollars for their dinner, you know? And so he does, he convinces him. Uh, and he, so he says the chef like perfectly slices the hot dog into like four separate sections and puts it on four perfect plates. And he does like the perfect drizzle of ketchup and the perfect drizzle of mustard. There's like a schmear of uh, relish and like a schmear of kraut on this plate. And and so they take it and they serve it to the people. And, and Will says that they lay the plates down. He says, this is so that you leave New York without any sort of culinary regret. And he says, the people just freak out. And they're like, like, it's their favorite. They're about to eat a duck that has been aged by one person for two weeks. You know, like they're about to do like the most, someone put with like tweezers is going to put their food on the plate. But they're like, this is the best thing we've ever had. Like they're freaking out. Absolutely. And he says, he's given people gifts before, like fancy champagne and caviar and things like that. But he was like, I've never seen a table freak out the way these people did over a hot dog. And so for Will, what he says is that his uh, way of doing business completely shifted all based on this experience, like all based on this moment. Uh, what he understood about hospitality changed. I want to quote him here. This is what Will Guderes says. He says, in restaurants, our reason for making people feel seen is uh, to, it's to make them feel welcome. Uh, it's, to make, it's to give them a sense of belonging. In restaurants, the food, the service, and the design, they're simply ingredients in the, human, in the recipe of human connection. That is hospitality. Uh, he says that, that food and service and design in a restaurant are just ingredients for human connection. That human connection is what hospitality is all about. So according to the man who operated the number one restaurant in the world, hospitality is bigger than food and it's bigger than service. It's about making people feel seen and welcomed, making people feel like they belong. And I don't think that's very far away from what Paul is talking about in Romans 12 to us when he says in verse 9, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. And that's how he begins the chunk and then he ends the chunk saying, always be eager to practice hospitality. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Uh, he's not saying always be eager to cook fancy dinners or throw lavish parties, but always be eager to make people see, feel seen and welcome to give them a sense of belonging. 
Uh, when, when we break down Paul's words here uh, that he uses, we see that uh, uh, Will Gadara is, is following a genius way of being that was written uh, over or almost 2,000 uh, years before he wrote his book. Uh, this idea of practicing hospitality, uh, uh, according to Paul. The Greek word for practice is diokontes, uh, which means what we think it does. Practice is a really good translation. Uh, it means to do something with intent or do something on purpose. Um, but what's important to note about this word in Romans 12 is that um, in the sentence, the way it's structured is this word is not a suggestion, it's a command. Practice hospitality. It is a command. And then that second word, hospitality, I super geeked out over this this week. Uh, the Greek word for that is philoxenia, uh, which is a compound word. So two words put together, uh, and the two words are philio, which means love, and xenos, which means stranger. So the word hospitality uh, at its root is the exact opposite of xenophobia. Hospitality is the love of stranger rather than the fear of stranger. Paul is saying, uh, with intention, on purpose, practice loving others, not fearing them. Uh, say, see them, welcome them, allow the stranger a sense to belong when you're around. Uh, here's how some of my favorite spiritual writers define hospitality. Uh, John Montcomer says it is uh, expressing the love of the Father through tangible acts of love, namely through giving food, shelter, and relationship. I love that that third one's in there. Uh, Shauna Nequist, who wrote a book called Bread and Wine, a, 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 it's like a love story to life around the table. Uh, she says, the heart of hospitality is about creating space for someone to feel seen, sounds familiar, heard, and loved. It is about declaring your table a safe zone in the world. Uh, and then Henry Nouwen says, hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Uh, somewhere along the way, uh, if you grew up in church uh, like me, we were taught that hospitality means having like a clean and warm house with plenty of seating and a signature cocktail you can make right on the spot and knowing how to make or roast a chicken perfectly. Uh, some of you, if you grew up Baptist, it's a sin signature sweet tea that you can make at any moment. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I grew up about to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but none of these things, none of these things define hospitality uh, as perfection. Will Gidera did it. Uh, Paul doesn't. These great spiritual writers, they don't. Rather, they all describe uh, something that said far more about how a person feels in a presence or space of another person than what exactly that space is. Uh, Shauna Nequist, who I just quoted later in her book, says that true hospitality leaves a person feeling better about themselves, not better about you. Uh, even the number one restaurant in the world says that hospitality is more than food or service, but instead is, is the service of human connection. Uh, we see that with Jesus. Uh, Jesus was hospitality in the flesh. Jesus, he would hang out with anyone uh, his best friends were a bunch of uneducated fishermen who probably smelled like fishermen. Uh, the one person in his group that was educated was Matthew, and he was a tax collector, and everybody hated tax collectors. Uh, Jesus, he talked to children and women. He looked them in the eyes. Uh, he had documented uh, 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 connections with the sick and the lame and the demon-possessed. He uh, would be walking somewhere doing something important and, and somebody would, would interrupt him 
and he let them. I think about this a whole lot. Uh, If Jesus is hospitality personified, I think that there is an interruptibility to Jesus that is worth us paying attention to. Uh, One time, he's walking with this father, and the father's daughter is dying, like going to die any second. And he says, come heal my daughter. And Jesus says, absolutely. And they're walking on a mission to heal someone who is about to die. And a woman uh, touches Jesus's robe while he's walking. And when she does, she's healed from this like wild disease she had had for years and years and years. And uh, Jesus stops. And, 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 and while physical healing, I think, is incredibly important to Jesus, uh, he is also about hospitality. And so he, he, he's about people being, feeling seen and welcomed. And so he stops and he finds this woman. He says, who touched my robe? And she says, me. This is my translation. She says, me. And he says, uh, he, he, he sees her and he looks at her and he blesses her. Because for him, there was both physical healing and hospitality. And being interrupted, Jesus was constantly and consistently practicing this, the the love of the stranger. And I think we have to make a note here about Jesus and hospitality, and it's this. If Jesus was hospitality personified, I think it's very interesting that he didn't even have a home. He He did not have a home that he could roast a perfect chicken in. He didn't have pillows that he could fluff or karate chop right down the middle like I make my children do. He was a homeless, itinerant preacher, and he figured out how to make it work. I think that's a word for us. Uh, The the kind of, uh, we see Jesus uh, doing this hospitality. We see him doing it, and we we see that it's more than a place. It's a way of being. Uh, The kind of hospitality that, uh, of presence uh, like that shows up throughout all of the scriptures. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden when God hosts the first man and woman, it's a significant part of Abraham's life and Moses' life. Uh, At one point, God destroys two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. They get a story, the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is that God destroyed them for two reasons, their pride and their lack of hospitality to strangers and needy people, to the poor and to the stranger. It's all over the Old Testament. The, the New Testament writers, they, they write about a command of hospitality beyond what we read today in the stories of Jesus. Uh, in um, uh, 1 Peter 4, uh, 8 through 10, it says, Practicing hospitality is one of the ways that we can love each other with the kind of love that covers a multitude of sins or covers the destructions of the world. And Peter says it's something that we should practice, but it's something that we should do without grumbling or complaining. Uh, John Mark Comer says that part was thrown into the mix for the introverts, the neat freaks, and the perfectionists. Uh, Hebrews 13.22 challenges the people of Jesus to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, as family. And then the writers remind us, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing that, people have entertained angels. For by showing hospitality, people have entertained the divine presence in their midst. Uh, What we see in the ancient scriptures is that hospitality is our heritage. And what we see in Jesus is that hospitality is also our calling. It is one of our gifts in the world. It's not a fringe practice for people who have nice houses and like to cook. It is what we're about as people of God. It's about how we show up in this world in the places we live and work and learn and play. 
Uh, We talk a lot around here about being created on purpose for purpose. And I think uh, this is, hospitality is one of the ways that we work out that purpose, that we were created to join God in the renewal of all things, to fill the earth with more of the good stuff of heaven. Hospitality is one of the ways that we do this. It's one of the ways we fill the earth with more of heaven. But I also think it's not just something that we do um, to, uh, to work out our purpose. I think it is also one of the ways that God fills us with more of himself. Here's what I mean. Uh, there's a part, a key part of all of these verses and stories that I've talked about and commands. Uh, and that is the call or charge of hospitality that is something bigger and wider than our group of friends and our family or the people we're comfortable with. Uh, In all of them, there is a reminder or a practice or a challenge that includes the stranger, uh, the unknown person, the misunderstood person, the outsider. Uh, I think this is where hospitality is not just something that happens through us, but also it is something that happens to us. Uh, Parker Palmer, who's a writer and a teacher, he says that the role of stranger is vital to the context of Christian faith. Uh, Throughout the Bible, uh, God shows up as a whole lot of different things. He shows up as father, shows up as friend, but very often um, God shows up and is represented as the stranger. Uh, A place of possibility or a place of potential or a place uh, for faith and welcome. And so Parker Palmer, he goes further. He says that when we domesticate God to only the role of familiar friend, then we miss out on key uh, pieces of who God is to us and who God is to the world. And so a key part of hospitality includes uh, welcome for people and things that are different than us. Uh, Different cultures, ideologies, beliefs, practice. There's something for us there in the different. Uh, We're actually going to talk about this idea uh, a a little bit in our next series, uh, Should We Ever Get Out of Romans 12? I think we might. Um, But something happens in us uh, when we have the curiosity to engage somebody different than us, someone who is strange to us or to whom we are strange to. Uh, One thing that happens uh, when we practice this kind of hospitality is that in hosting what is strange to us, the things that we fear most tend to put on skin and tell a story. And that is incredibly important. Uh, It allows us to get a fuller imagination uh, of humanity. But I think also in doing this, it it allows a fuller imagination for who God is and for how he loves the world. Uh, Especially when we engage people that I call sandpaper people, not to their face. Um, But you know the ones like the people that you work with that you avoid, um, the people that, that, that they uh, expose your rough edges and they expose your fears and they expose your biases, they're sandpaper people. Uh, they refine and smooth what is bumpy and sharp in me and bumpy and sharp in you. And in my experience, sandpaper people, uh, they rarely become my best friends. We don't like go on vacation together, but often they are my greatest teachers, They teach me more about myself and the world uh, than about anybody. Uh, They give me insight into God and a world that is different than mine. I think there's a challenge here for us to stop letting age or race or stage of life or any of the things that confine us to uh, confine our community. Uh, I was thinking about this this week. My dad's best friend is my age. One of his best friends is my age. And like what he would have missed out in on Will if he would have been like, oh no, he's my daughter's age. I can't hang out with 
him like that. You know, like uh, we let these things confine us. If, if, if you are conservative politically, it, is, it would be very good for you to have meals with liberals. If you are married, it would be very good for you to spend time with single people, not for the purpose of getting them married, like just to spend time. I could go on and on. Like it is, it is good to be with people who are different uh, than you in how, whatever ways. I've quoted a lot of people today, uh, but I have saved my favorite for now. Uh, there's a theologian I love named Robert Capon. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. He's an Episcopal priest and a chef. <laughs> there's a theme here. Um, <laughs> and he's also just a hooligan. Um, he says something I love. He says, everybody, even the worst stinker on earth is somebody for whom Jesus Christ died. I love it. And I think it applies here. Because honestly, there are a lot of stinkers on earth, right? And it is important for us that we engage with people different from us uh, with the hope of making them feel seen and the hope of making them feel known uh, and making them feel loved. And that we remember that everybody, even the worst stinker on earth, is somebody God made and somebody for whom Jesus died. As I said, there are a lot of stinkers, but there are a lot of people who stink to us. People we will disagree with on big ways, on just about everything, who will drive us crazy and get on every nerve we have. But even someone annoying or even someone we disagree with was created by God and is someone for whom Jesus died. I don't think that hospitality means that everybody has to be your best friend. I do think it means that everybody gets to be a somebody. That everybody gets to be a someone, a person with a life and with a story. I think that everyone is someone uh, you can learn from. More about the world, more about ourselves, uh, certainly more about who God is. What kind of wild God, wild God would make such weird people, right? For some of you, this is an actual superpower. Uh, Mackenzie Sharp, uh, Stevens, Jan and Randy Willis, uh, Mike and Teresa Williams, this is a superpower. My son Graham is this way. Like, uh, he is, I learn from him constantly. He is so curious about strangers. Strangers to him are just bearers of new and exciting information he doesn't have yet. <laughs> now, to be fair, he is 15 and he hasn't been burned enough yet, you know? But... There is something about the optimism uh, of youth that is holy. And it would be very good for us to reclaim that for ourselves. I am not saying to be reckless with your uh, life or your family or your heart or your home or your schedule. Uh, but I am saying to take risks. Some of you are like, that's the same word. Every Enneagram six in the room is like <laughs> reckless and risk. They are not the same word. Okay? One is stretching. One is damaging. They are not... The same word, stretch, don't damage. Okay, another thing to remember. The call to hospitality in the scriptures, it is a communal one. It's a we, not just an individual call. It's something you do alongside others. And so just know as a church staff, it's a question we're asking. Uh, what does this look like for our church? What does it look like for us to be uh, welcoming to the stranger or outsider in our music or our prayers or our rhythms or practices or kids' ministry? Probably looks like more volunteers and kids. I don't know. That's just, that's not in my notes. That was just for free. That's not in my notes. Um, this is why we only do it once a year because it can't 
outside myself. Okay, um, I want to do one more quick thing uh, before, before we end up, and then I'm just going to uh, give us a little bit of space to, to think through this and process this. Um, uh, but I want to speak to the introverts in the room, um, directly to you. Uh, so if you're an extrovert, you, you quit listening a while ago. Anyway, but, um, <laughs> but if you're an introvert in the room, um, you guys won't claim me as one of your own, even though on tests I am one of you. So I'm going to quote someone else instead of myself that maybe you will trust. Um, but I read an article this week about introverts and hospitality that's fantastic. If it's something that you'd be interested in, let me know and I will send it to you. Um, but it was by a woman named Sarah White, and, and I'm just going to read her quote. It's kind of long, so I'm sorry. But she says this. When we remember Jesus, the concept of hospitality breaks out of its enclosed husk and is revealed for what it truly is. The eyes to see the marginalized and the lonely, the heart to embrace those in pain, and the ability to offer an unhurried and loving presence in a world that is busily rushing by. And this is something that we can and must cultivate as believers, no matter our personality or temperament. Being an introvert does not exempt me from following Christ and loving my neighbors, but it also does not mean that I have to love others just like extroverts do. The gospel doesn't always have to come with an actual key to my house, but it does have to come with a key to our hearts. Uh, In the article, she talks about learning how to be hospitable as herself, not as someone else. And I think that is so incredibly important. Uh, for her, the kind of space that makes room for others to, to feel seen and loved and welcomed is often outside of her house, not in her actual home. And when she does, uh, when uh, this looks like a social thing, she limits it. It's not every day or every week, but is an intentional, uh, an intentional, unhurried, loving presence in her life. I watched this. Justin Cook goes on walks outside of his house with people in order to extrovert. Brad Hitch uses instruments in order to extrovert. There are, not in order to extrovert, in order to be hospitable. That is what they do. So, so please do not hear me say that in order to be hospitable, everyone has to turn their house into a free Airbnb or host dinners with Democrats twice a week or something like that. That is not, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's find a way for the Holy Spirit to open us up to a hospitality that feels like us, that feels true to us, expanding us, challenging us, but not asking us to pretend to be someone that we aren't, but also not limiting us uh, in personality or temperament. Uh, This is the beauty of the work of the Spirit. It isn't one size fits all. It is one size fits one. It's one size fits you. It is personal and relational and hospitable to you, but also through you. Honestly, I think that's why this matters, because Jesus has been hospitable with us. Psalm 68 says that he put the lonely into families. This is what the gospel is. The gospel itself is a place to be seen and to be welcomed and to be loved while at the same time being known. So um, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, we, we take a moment every service. Uh, it's something that we call Selah. Uh, and it really, it's just like a quiet breath or a quiet pause. It's a moment for you to, to reflect. Um, and you can use it however you want. It can just be a quiet moment. It can be a prayerful moment. It can be a quick little nap before we stand up and sing some more. Uh, but if I can be bossy, I want to invite you to do two things during this time. Um, the first is I'm going to kind of invite us into an imaginative a little moment, and then we're going to let that imagination move us into some ways that I think God might have us to uh, respond. Uh, so, um, 
If you want to, would you close your eyes? I promise I'm not going to make anybody like raise their hand or, you know, um, I don't know, get baptized in a moment or something. Like that's not happening. So if you just want to close your eyes and take like a big deep breath. Take a breath in and a breath out. There's nothing magic about a breath. I just think it's important to have oxygen. <laughs> I made a joke, so let's do one more breath, breath in. <laughs> breath out. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine um, yourself at a table. Really what I want to do here is just allow God to be hospitable to us because he is and he wants to be. And so would you imagine yourself at a table and it's uh, you and God. God is is the, the master of the table. He is welcoming you to his table. Uh, In this table, uh, it is a free space where you can enter and become a friend. And would you for a moment allow him to see you as you are? Tired, stressed, happy, confused, bored. Trying to pretend like he's real. However you are, would you let him see you as you are and would you let him welcome you? And this is risky. In that welcome, would you uh, allow him uh, to know you as you truly are? And maybe even riskier, would you allow him to love you as you are this moment? Don't picture some future version of you at the table. That's not who we're talking about. Jesus welcomes the today version of you. That's who he's invited to his table. Okay, so from that space... Um, Would you invite the Spirit of God into your imagination to challenge you a little bit? And would you dare to ask him, what is he inviting you uh, in or how to respond to this particular idea of hospitality? Is he inviting you to show up in the world uh, as a more unhurried and loving person? Or maybe would he like to tell you a place where you can start? Like what does hospitality look like for you? Do you need to throw a dinner party for stinkers or sit at a different lunch table once a week or once a month or uh, be interruptible at the grocery store or the gym? What does it look like for you? What's your first step? And I'm just going to leave you with it. There'll be some verses on the screen if you want to follow those, but let's just stay in a place of prayer. I'm going to pray and bless it and then get off the stage and let you do your own thing. So uh, Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to be curious? Would you grow us in wisdom, not judgment? And as we interact with other people, may we have agendas for ourselves and not for them. And would you also give us the courage to be hosted by you? We love you. Amen.